This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, episode 76, and today I am talking to Michelle Elman. You can find all of the links for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 76. That's 76. Michelle Elman is a five-board accredited life coach who specializes in body confidence. She is the creator of the Scarred Not Scared campaign, where she shares her own personal story of having had 15 surgeries by the age of 20 with her audience of over 20,000 followers on Instagram and YouTube. I chat with Michelle all about her story, having gone through 15 surgeries, what that taught her about body acceptance, why health is not always a choice, and why healthy is not the new skinny. There is some really good stuff in this episode, and I know you're going to love it. Before we get started, I just have a couple of announcements. First, you can find my free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies, or just go to thebodyimagecoach.com. Second, if you haven't already done so, I would be so grateful if you took two minutes to leave a review for this podcast. Going into the third season of this show, I really want other people to find it. And your reviews help other people to find the show. And by having other people find it, you are essentially doing a form of body positive activism. Because ultimately, the more women or people that find this show, the more people that buy out of diet culture and accept themselves exactly as they are. If you haven't already left me a review, I would so appreciate it if you took two minutes to do that. Go to your iTunes page or your podcast app, click ratings and reviews, and click to rate. All right, let's get started with the show. Hey, everyone. I am really excited to have Michelle Elman on Fearless Rebel Radio today. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I can't believe that I was only introduced to you a short while ago because you are you're you're pretty out there in the body positive world and I just hadn't come across you before and your story is so powerful. Thank you so much. It is it's one of those strange things. Body positivity has grown really quickly and I'm in the fortunate position at position where I could serve I started two years ago, so it feels like I I was there in the beginning, which is quite nice seeing it transition into the norm now. It is, isn't it? And we will be talking about that too. But for people who are unfamiliar with you and your story, I'd love you to give a bit of background on how you got into body positivity and and your your personal story with it. So I am a trained life coach. I am accredited by five boards and I had a psychology degree and that's um, kind of how I found body positivity because I found I was attracting a lot of self-esteem clients um, and then focused on confidence. And I was like, actually, I just want to focus on body confidence because body confidence is a very personal place in my life. 
because I've had 15 surgeries um, due to a brain tumour, a punctured intestine, an obstructed bowel, a cyst in my brain, a condition called hydrocephalus. And altogether, those 15 surgeries have left scars all over my body. So as soon as I started working with these clients, they would be like, well, you don't really understand. And people say this to me because you can't see them usually when I'm wearing clothes. There are a few on my chest, which you can see. There are a few on my head, a few on my ankles that you can see when I'm wearing clothes. But unless you looked particularly or in a certain angle, you wouldn't really notice them. So when I said, actually, I do understand and explained, they were like, wait, why aren't you talking about this more? Like, why don't you get out there and start talking about it? So I decided to. um, And I started sharing this with one of my friends. And ironically, at the time, we were in a swimming costume. um, And she said, well, if you're helping people with body confidence, why aren't you wearing bikinis? Um, And I was like, because people with scars can't wear bikinis. And I said it and then just stopped. And I didn't know why I'd said it. And I guess it was something that was so ingrained in me that it was one of those things I never questioned. Um, And then straight after that, we walked out to the pool and right there was a girl sitting with, I guess it was appendicitis scar because it was the same positioning. And I was like, that's the first time I've ever seen anyone with a scar on show at the beach or by the pool or anything. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's how I decided that that summer, that was in January, and in the summer of 2014, I was going to wear a bikini for the first time. And I was going to take a picture and put it on my website and start this campaign called Scar Not Scared. Um, And that's how it started. And then as soon as I shared my story, I wanted to share everyone else's story, and I made a video doing that um, because each stop, each scar tells a different story and there are so many different types of scars in the world. Um, And so I wanted to show the difference between growing up with a scar, having one later in life, being a man having a scar, having a woman having a scar. And that video sort of encompassed all of that. And the difference between having acne scars and having to face the prejudice of being dirty compared to having a child when you have a when you get diagnosed with an illness all of those differences and those differences in the scar stories were shown and shown how complex a simple scar can be Mm. and that's kind of where I started and I just want to say that those surgeries happened before the age of 20 for you so that was that was a lot of heavy stuff in those impressionable years what was the impact of of those surgeries on your body image so the bulk of uh, I had had seven before the seven surgeries before the age of 11 Um, and then I had five in the space of three months when I was 11 and those five hit me the hardest because they created the biggest scar I have. And if anyone has seen my um, bikini picture, there's one big one at the bottom of my abdomen, which creates a fat roll. And that really impacted my body image because I was a very skinny child, always had been, always been a very active child. And I kept saying, I now have a fat roll and it's not my fault. Mm. And there was nothing I had done but to gain weight or anything but that anyone now looking at me in a t-shirt would think I had a roll of fat and that started my insecurities I guess yeah it sounds like that represented some shame for you yes a lot especially because before then 
I mean, I remember finding a photo when I was 10 years old um, of me in a crop top, just showing my showing my scars and not really caring, not really noticing them. I had had a few instances before with the first time I ever tried on a bikini um, wasn't a pleasant experience. I had a woman and her daughter stare at my scars um, when I came out of the changing room and that kind of I guess is where the mentality people with scars can't wear bikinis came from. Yes. So I had dealt with that before, but all of it was kind of manageable up to the point of getting this huge one because I always thought I could hide it. And then as soon as I got this huge one, which created fat roll, I was like, I can't hide it anymore. But what's even worse is that people don't know it's a scar. So I felt like I had to justify it because other, otherwise people would just assume it's fat. Right. Right. And what helped you to just feel comfortable with the way your body looked? Um, I guess for many years, how I got comfortable with my body was by hiding my scars because no one needs to know about them. So for me, the very early stages was me deciding that I was just going to hide my scars and stop talking about my weight so much and stop talking about all my insecurities because I realized that my insecurities were drawing, like every time I talked about my insecurities, I was drawing more attention to them. And whilst that's not really a body positive mentality, this was when I was 15 years old. And I just made a decision one day to stop being so horrible to myself and stop, even if I thought horrible thoughts, I wasn't going to say them out loud anymore. I wasn't going to be that person who would go like, oh, my thighs are fat. No, you're, my thighs are fatter. I was like, I don't need to put myself down in order to lift someone else up. Um, and so that's very much where I started, where I was like, I'm just going to stop saying these things out loud. Um, and then it moved into me realizing that since I had done that, I had actually found less problems in my body and like less areas. I, I started feeling comfortable with not losing weight because I wasn't talking about it as much. Um, and I got really comfortable with my weight. The problem left was dealing with my scars and um, going into university. I was like, oh, well, hiding them isn't really the solution anymore because one day I'm going to have to go into the bedroom with someone and take off my top and I'm going to have to deal with it. Um, and so that's when I started talking about the events behind my surgeries. And that removed a lot of the shame that was attached to the scars. Because the shame with the scars isn't just the physical aspect of it. It's the emotional baggage from traumatic experiences behind the scars. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's so powerful, too, is that with, with anything to do with our body, it's not just about the, the exterior physical, it's about the, the shame that we've internalized based on events associated with that. Yeah, and I had a lot of shame about surviving. I, I had a lot of survivor's guilt. I had a lot of shame about being different, which seems something quite strange to um, be ashamed about. But when you're when these surgeries are happening so young, that is actually kind of the main concern. Like I remember when they shaved my head for my brain surgery, and I just said like, "Don't leave me looking like a freak," because I was like 11 years old, and that was my main concern. I didn't want to go back to school and stand out and be teased or bullied for how I looked. 
Yeah, exactly. And I imagine that, um, that, that, I mean, I just think that that would be so hard for, for like a, a teenager to, to go through. And you, you mentioned Survivor's Guild. I'm just curious about that. What's, what's that? So I was in um, the intensive care ward. So everyone in that um, unit is has very severe medical conditions and medical problems, which means that there are nurses always on call, like you don't have separate rooms, which means you get to witness other people around you. And because it's very severe conditions, you witness other people dying and you witness other people going through a lot worse than what you're going through so when you make it out of the situation and you survive you get guilt for having survived and you almost feel like what did I do to deserve my life when all these other people around me didn't get that opportunity and then you feel like this burden that you have to now do something with your life to earn the right to live if that makes sense wow yeah that's really powerful and I imagine that you probably carry that for for a long time to work through that probably around 10 years I carried that and it's a really and it sounds like a partially positive thing because of the gratitude and I think that's where I struggled with it most was because I was like oh I think that makes me grateful because it's a constant reminder of like why I should be doing it and why I should be like enjoying life and all of that and then I realized it's actually coming from such a negative place that I can't move on and I'm being very much stuck in my past. Um, And as soon as I realised that, I realised there are much better ways to motivate myself to, well, at the time, to become a psychologist. I really wanted to be a psychologist when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned sharing your story was a huge part of of relieving the shame. And um, what are some ways that you suggest to some of your clients or just other women to help them share their story? I mean, obviously, like you went right out there, social media, YouTube, like put it out in the world. Yeah. Um, and maybe not everybody is ready for that, which uh, which is totally fine. But what, what are some ways that you suggest women share their story? I think the main thing is talking about it, because I'm a huge believer in the fact that um, suffering only exists in silence and shame can only exist in silence. Um, it's a quote from the amazing author, Brene Brown. Yes. <laughs> and even just talking to one of your friends about it, I mean, that's where I started. It wasn't like overnight one day I decided to go on social media. I started by talking to my friends. And I remember the first conversation where I told a friend about all my surgeries and it was a new friend I had just made in university and I told them and it's it's such a powerful moment because it you don't let it control you anymore because you accept that's a part of you and a part of your past and by talking about it you're able to release some of the energy around it and some of the emotion around it and that's why I think sharing your story is not about doing it on a public platform or doing it for uh, for activism or for a purpose but doing it for yourself is the main thing and you'll find that when you do things for yourself it actually helps other people more because doing it for other people means that will impact on on your own mental well-being mm-hmm. whereas that story and sharing that story was done more for me than it was for anyone else and I was very aware of the fact that I needed to share it because 
there are other people out there. And it was only afterwards did I realise how many people are out there with the same problem. Um, at the time, I was working in a hospital and I was working in a children's hospital in a, inside one of those wards um, that I was on myself. And I just looked around the room one day and I went, every single person in this room is going to walk out with a scar and yet no one is talking about it. And how, like, how alone do you feel? Yet when you look at a room like that, you're like, they're all in the same situation. Yet once you leave this room, you're going to think that you're alone. And I think that was the nicest thing that came out of sharing my story and why it's important to share your story is to know that you're not alone and to know that it's a problem that a lot of people face. And whether it's a scar or a stretch mark or a birthmark, everyone has their own struggle with their body. Yeah, it's true. And and I think you mentioned earlier the complexity of the story around that. And I'm curious as to whether um, was your relationship to the story of your scars important to helping to heal your body image? Yeah, so a lot of the difficulty around telling the story was um, accepting that it was a, a hard experience. So I would always tell it like a joke. Or, and I would say like, oh, well, at least I didn't have cancer. And I never really recognized the fact that it was a big deal. And anytime everyone said, but you had 15 surgeries, you even had a brain tumor. How is that any diff- How is that, that much different to cancer? I would just be like, no, 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 it's not a big deal. I didn't have cancer. And just like switch the conversation off or make a joke about the fact that I died at one point. Um, and it was brushing it off because I felt so awkward embracing it if that makes sense. Yeah. So I just always pushed it off and didn't talk about it. Um, and so those those main events, the day I died when I was 11 for two minutes, those were the ones which were so hard to accept and just be like, okay, that's not normal for 11-year-olds. I didn't have a normal childhood. And accepting that was as much a part of the process as accepting the scars themselves. Right. I think it's like accepting the pain, you know, and, and, and almost uh, like forgiving yourself for for some for some of that or coming to a place of peace with it, I guess, is a better way to articulate it. Because often these body changes that we have can can represent painful moments in our life. And so sometimes it's hard to to really embrace it. Rather, it's about kind of accepting it and coming to a place of peace with it. And the ironic thing is every time I worried about anything bodily or physical, I always then beat myself up about that because I was like, I can't believe you have a brain tumor and all you care about is the fact that they're shaving your head. So as much as I would say it and be like, don't leave me looking like a freak, I would be like, I'm worrying about my physical appearance or like I came out of five surgeries and instead of being grateful for having survived, I went, oh great, I have a fat roll. And then I'd beat myself up about that. And it's almost like, you can use anything as a tool for self-abuse. Um, and it was just another thing. Each imperfection, each new change to my body was a new thing that I was using to beat myself up about something new. Um, and I think it's especially hard when these body transformations aren't inside your control. So when they're done to you and you don't get a warning about them and with a few of my emergency surgeries, you just wake up looking different and it's that kind of thing or wait I've had a few moments where I've woken up and couldn't recognize myself like after the brain tumor operation and 
those are really scary moments because it's like everything is outside of your control. That's what I was going to ask you about is just, you know, that, I mean, because that happens and sometimes that, I mean, that's, that's, that can, that's the case with weight too, is that it's like, we don't necessarily have control, you know, some body, we're born with different bodies. And so, and sometimes that mean our, means our body changes, whether that's from health issues or, you know, stress or having a child or, you know, any, like any number of those things. What is your advice to women it to become more comfortable if their body has gone through a change? I think this is where I always prioritize health and mental health over weight because every time I've gone into hospital, when I've come out, I've gained a lot of weight. And that's not because of emotional reasons, but purely because when you're in hospital for three months and you don't eat, which I've had to do because of my surgeries, I've gone three months without eating sometimes. When you come out, your metabolism is gone. Like, your body doesn't know what to do with food. Because I was on a diet of, like, 500 calories worth of liquids while you were in hospital trying to wash out my intestines. Um, and so I came out and my body was in, I guess, what they call survival mode and clung on to every bit of food. Right. So I saw this massive change in weight um, up to, I think I lost, I think I lost 10 kilos and gained 30 kilos in the space of a month when I was 11 years old. Um, so I was like a tiny girl and suddenly it just ballooned. And this is why I think when you're going through anything life changing, whether it's an emotional or a physical process, realize that your weight shouldn't be your priority at that time. Get to a place where you can manage your mental health and a place where you can manage your physical health and and I mean, like, physical health in terms of illness, not in terms of how it's used nowadays in terms of diet. Um, and then you can maybe address your weight later if that's your, that's your priority. To me, it never is, because I just think if you have physical health and mental health, then what's the problem? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's so, that's so well said, is that, you know, you, it's the more that we focus and fixate on the weight, too, the more of an issue it becomes. I mean, had you gone out and dieted um after that experience you would have just been sending your brain those starvation and famine signals again and you know completely disrupting your metabolism oh did you so I was 11 and uh, within six months I had gained I think 40 kilos which is a ridiculous amount of weight to gain um and I was eating exactly the same and then obviously because I was eating exactly the same as I was before hospital I was just so confused and I was like how am I gaining so much weight no one had explained to me that that's what happened um in terms of my metabolism metabolism and all of that um and because I was off exercise for the next six months I guess that didn't help as well um and then I was like I need to do something about this so I went to my 12 year old friends and said like how do I lose weight and they were like oh we'll play this fun game where we don't eat for the weekend. Oh, my God. Um, and, yeah, don't get advice from 12-year-olds, even if you're one of them. <laughs> so we all dieted for the weekend, except it wasn't dieting. It was starving ourselves for the weekend. And I did it for a few weeks, and I did lose a lot of weight, and I gained twice as much back. Um, and that started my diet, my cycle of dieting, which didn't end for the next seven years. Wow. So, so you were, you had a bit of chronic dieting going on through this time as well. 
Yeah, yo-yo dieting at its extreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably tried everything under the sun. I tried, I tr- tried all the ones which were deemed unhealth, deemed healthy as well, and it just, uh, I, I don't know. I th- that is why I'm so anti them because I think that just exacerbated the problems I was going through already. Yeah, mentally, mentally and physically, right? <laughs> and physically, and also I think those companies were taking advantage of a very weak girl, because I was a girl, I was a child, and that was being taken advantage of. Instead of those companies being like, there's an age restriction, they were letting 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds buy their programs and buy their, their products, which yeah. I just think is wrong. Yeah, and and I and you you made a mention of to to health earlier, um, and how you just said it, how it's being promoted today, how it's kind of being promoted and um, dieting's being promoted under the guise of health or even um, you know body positivity. What what are, what are you what are you noticing, or what are, what are your thoughts on that? So I. I particularly noticed it about two weeks ago when someone followed me on Twitter um, and I clicked on her page, which I sometimes do if they've got something related to body positivity in the caption. Um, and her pinned tweet up at the top was uh, was something along the lines of how um, health is a choice. And then I looked into her bio a bit more and she was an intuitive eating coach. And one of those health and wellness people who are trying to do it the healthy way. And it was that, that the wording, and I can't remember exactly, but she said something along the lines of health is a choice and you would be doing yourself a disservice um, if, you, if you weren't healthy and that um, you are worth more than being unhealthy. And I was like, oh, that's just pushed my buttons. Do not say you are worth any less because you are unhealthy. Because I am unhealthy. And whenever I say that on social media, everyone goes, oh, yeah, you are talking about my weight. And I'm like, no, I've had 15 surgeries. I have a condition called hydrocephalus. I still live with that condition. I sometimes get debilitating headaches. I sometimes have to spend the day in bed. That is the definition of the word unhealthy, not weight. And so then I replied to her and anything and she went, oh, well, I was talking about health in relation to weight and diet. And I was like, well, then say that, like say that rather than just assuming that is what you like, assuming that's what is interpreted by it, because it's a very ableist mentality to assume that that's what the word means because it's a word which is used in the ableist community to mean something very different because that's the dictionary definition of it and so it I think it's just a very narrow-minded view to not realize that there are other people in this world who have genuine health issues that are not related to diet weight exercise wellness whatever newfangled word you want to use to describe it it's the same it's the health and wellness industry it's the diet and fitness industry it's all under that umbrella do not bring it into body positivity yeah okay that was awesome <laughs> i totally agree with was you that a lot? <laughs> no not at all um you know i and I, I mentioned this before we started recording but it's you know it's it's like that statement uh sometimes people will say well as long as she's healthy and happy and it's like not everybody has that choice you know happiness is not a choice healthy being healthy is is not always a cho- a choice and you know saying that or thinking that really um 
uh, does a disservice to to people who have you know mental illness, physical illness that is completely outside of their control. I think it's just such a touchy topic because I can't even tell you how many days I spent growing up just wishing to be healthy. And so when someone says something like that, I'm thinking about every 13-year-old, every 14-year-old, every child going through chronic illness and chronic pain, reading a caption which says something along the lines of, as long as you're healthy or healthy is the new skinny. Um, And I'm like, okay, can we please stop? Like, I, I support a lot of them because I'm like, I know you don't have bad intentions. Right. And also, we need to be very aware of the conversations we're having. Right. And also, you know, comparing it to skinny, I think, too, because it's it's like we want to get to a point where bodies are just bodies, bodies are neutral. And, you know, one thing is not better than another and healthy isn't better. And, you know, it's <laughs> it, it kind of goes against what the roots of body positivity are all about, which is, you know, all bodies are good bodies. And let's end the, um, you know, a, 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 let's end the discrimination against oppress, uh, um, against certain groups of people. Well, I also was uh, a few posts back, I was just getting into the fact that body positivity actually started not about all bodies are beautiful, which they are in the word beautiful, but not all bodies are pretty. Um, And it's actually about not caring what you look like half the time. Yes. And that's originally what body positivity was, because it's okay to have like to have not have weight as your priority. I think that's the main thing. We live in a world where it's kind of shocking if your weight isn't your highest priority or that your weight is not even one of your top three priorities. Maybe someone has higher priorities that than that. Mine are not waking up with a headache, using the energy that I do have in my day to work and not use it on things which, I don't know, like, I don't know, I, I'm not making much sense now, but <laughs> it's the fact that... I think just because for you, fitness, health, and all of, I'm using, I'm even use the word health now, fitness, wellness, and all of that is your highest priority, doesn't mean it's someone else's, and doesn't mean they have to think like you. Yes. Like, and we're all entitled to different priorities, and we don't have to prioritize our weight. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I love that you brought up this, the, you know, the word, the word beautiful or or pretty, because that's, you know, that's what I, um, I feel very strongly about as well is that, you know, not, we don't have to, it's not about being attractive. It's not about being desirable. It's really about not thinking about your body anymore because you are, you just know at your core that you're, you're valuable and you're worthy and there's so many other things that make you beautiful. So I would love to know how your perception of the word beautiful has changed over the years. Well, so I, I think the reason why I get into this more is because I had one of my posts shared on um, a huge page. I think I had t- 10 million followers, which means I attract a crowd, which is not my crowd, because my crowd are very positive, very, like, very sensitive people. I, and it was a quote about scars and how they're beautiful or something like that. And one of the comments said, um, this post is promoting self-harm. Obviously, having not gone onto my page and seen that 
I'm not talking about self-harm scars because I'm not promoting scars. I'm not saying go out there and get scars because they're beautiful. I'm saying if you're in the unfortunate position to have had scars, we can do something about this and we can work with the hand we're dealt. I'm not telling you, I'm not promoting it. It's two very different things. And that's why I'll say like, I'm not saying that scars are the most attractive things in the world, but I do think there is some sort of beauty in it. And that's why I might not say it's attractive or pretty, but I will say it's beautiful because I think there is beauty in a lot of things. And I think beautiful encompasses that a lot more than pretty or attractive because it's not about being aesthetically pleasing. It's about how a powerful woman is beautiful because there's some beauty in that and there's some magic in that. And I think there is some magic in a scar for you having survived and gone through that struggle. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Like beautiful to me now is really about the humanity of an individual and, you know, the the soul of them. And I, I never really use that word to comment on somebody's appearance. Rather, I sort of use it to comment on... Um, I don't know, like an uh, like an at- like an attribute about them or some something. Yeah. And this may sound kind of woo, but like, oh, their soul, you know. Um, <laughs> so no, I'm I'm very woo. So I get it. Life coaches, yay. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so it's been uh, I don't know, and I think because beautiful was such a I I kind of had a weird relationship with that word growing up too. You know, just kind of always thinking that that's where my worth was in terms of being attractive. So I, I hesitate to use that word now. And I think it's okay to, to not be attractive. Like it's okay to be ugly, you know, it's like that doesn't make you less valuable or worthy. And that's the whole point. I think that's the thing. Cause beautiful used to be related. I mean, the first thing I think of when you say the word beautiful is Victoria's secret models, because that's what I used to think when I was younger. Right. So to change that word and I think it's very similar to what we're doing with the word fat and especially in England I throw people off with how I use the word fat um because I just use it like any other word like it's a descriptor and I don't shy away from it I'll say I'm fat and I think it happens a lot more in America where people won't be so shocked by it but here anytime I do this everyone's like no you're not fat and I was like I can see myself in the mirror. <laughs> I am fat. It's okay. It's not an awkward conversation. Um, and I think it's the same thing with the word beautiful, where we're taking it back to mean what it actually means, which is like, again, as you said, a beautiful spirit, a beautiful soul. I'll comment a lot on beautiful captions on Instagram saying, what you're such a beautiful person, not meaning literally because I can't see a picture of you, but your words are beautiful. Right. Yes. And I think when you, when, when your lens of beauty shifts to that framework, life is so much easier. (laughs) I feel like that's such a, that's such a huge shift. Like, you know, once you've, once you've kind of wholeheartedly sort of made that shift and your lens of beauty is no longer defined by um, a societal standard, um, that, that speaks a lot to, you know, how, how, you know, your perception of yourself has probably evolved and changed as well. But that's why I'm such an advocate for not really caring if you're beautiful or attractive, because I did that before I found myself beautiful. And that was what really shifted it for me, was the day I was like, I don't care if I'm attractive anymore. Right. <laughs> I've been given this hand, I'm going to work it. Like, And then 
over time I went actually that part of me is quite beautiful and then like pieced it together and now I am at the point where I do think I'm beautiful even if I'm the only person who thinks it I'd rather live in a world where I believe I'm beautiful because why believe otherwise it's an easier world to believe that so I'm gonna believe I'm beautiful I don't need your opinion is how I live my life right oh that's so good I love that and um yeah just just kind of uh speaking to uh how you identify yourself as fat you did make a great YouTube video about if you are thin stop calling yourself fat can you elaborate that a bit and talk about why it's important to watch the words that we use so it was kind of sparked by a few Instagram posts that I'd seen where people who weren't fat were trying to make themselves look fat in the same way that like 10 years ago you would have seen photos of people trying to look skinnier than they are by changing the lighting and angling the camera up. It was almost like to be included in the body positive like community, they were trying to make themselves fatter. So I think I mentioned in the video, if you're squishing your thigh to create cellulite, that isn't cellulite. That's simply having fat on your body. And that doesn't make you fat. Because if someone, as a fat person, if I saw that, it doesn't make me feel good about myself because if you're there squeezing your thigh to create cellulite and I just have to look down at my thigh to see my cellulite, that makes me feel insecure because instead of embracing what you are, which is not fat, and having a conversation in the body positive community as you are, embracing your authentic self, you're trying to be something you're not. And then also it goes back to those 15-year-olds having a conversation where you go, if you think you're fat, what the hell am I? Right. And that is, I guess, what, what I talked about in the video and what I truly believe, where I'm like, you can be thin and be part of the body positive community. It's not about fat people because I share stories about scars and half the people who have scars are skinny and half the people who have scars are fat. And it doesn't matter because it's about the scar. Um you can have a conversation as a skinny person, but by the body positive movement was born out of the fat acceptance movement. And as much as you don't have to recognize this, you don't have to be a part of the fat acceptance movements. I feel like you have to recognize that that was where the origin came from. So you need to be an ally to fat bodies by not talking over us. And I think that's what it's doing. Because when you create a post squeezing your thigh or squeezing the little bit of fat on your arm you aren't being an ally anymore you are talking over us and that space is reserved for fat people to talk about you can talk about the struggles of skinny shaming you can talk about the struggles of things that fat people wouldn't understand but that would be more authentic to you and that wouldn't in turn body shame us yeah, that's that brings up such a good point. Um, you know, like I I personally sit in the in the mi- middle. You know, like I'm like yeah, uh, you know, like, in between. Um, like I have a lot of cellulite on my legs and my butt, and you know, I have rolls when I wear certain pieces of of clothing. But yeah, I mean, I I mean, I certainly could take a picture where I look ten pounds bigger than I than I am. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It, it really is just about being who you are and just like, whatever is there is, is there. 
um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating how that's kind of changed where like people who are in the movement try to maybe make themselves look bigger in order to, um, be, be more accepted in the movement, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. I saw a post by someone the other day, actually, which, who did it perfectly. And she was, a she, I guess she, I guess she was a fitness account actually, but a body positive fitness account. Um, and it was a post about PMS and the bloating you have with PMS. And she was a skinny body, but she showed her bloating. And I was like, that's how you can talk about it. You can talk about it like that perfectly fine. And that's a great body positive post because you're not pretending to be something you're not. You're not saying, oh, look how fat I look when I'm on PMS. You're saying, look, I get really bloated too. And like, if you're going through this, then I understand your struggle. And I was like, that's how you be an ally. That's how you're an ally. And not speaking over or about other people. Right. And I think, you know, allies are important because we want everybody to be on board with this kind of messaging. So it's not to say, okay, you're excluded from the conversation. It's just, you know, your story isn't the same as someone who is actually a fat person. You know, like you don't experience the discrimination or the oppression. And I think that's what people don't understand. Like, recognizing your privilege isn't about apologizing for it. It's not about saying that, like, your life is better than mine um, and that you are so fortunate. It's about saying, I acknowledge that you've had to experience discrimination that I wouldn't have had to experience. And it's not saying one struggle is bigger than the other, but saying that they're both equally important and I'm going to help you with your struggle just like you're going to help me with mine. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it, you know, because at the end of the day, we need to all come together here to to fight the bigger the bigger cause. Yeah. And I think the main thing that why I went on that rant is because I think we have been diluting body positivity in order for it to fit under every umbrella. Um, and that's why we're seeing so much of it in health and wellness. It's why we're seeing it on the covers of fitness and women's health magazines because they want to be able to jump on the bandwagon too. And I'm like, but you write about it on half of the cover and then half of the cover is, uh, there was one I saw yesterday, which was eat junk, stay slim. And I'm like, how is that on the same cover as I love myself and I love my body and how you can be more body positive. And that you can't even claim is healthy because eat junk, stay slim is not healthy. Yeah, there's so, you know, there's so much BS out there. It's like, and it's it's only going to get bigger as this gets bigger. And so it's really important to, for for people to educate others, because a lot of, you know, people that are learning about body positivity are learning it from these magazines, like they're learning it from mainstream media. So it's not their fault that they've interpreted it in, in a particular way. Um, and so not at all. And I think yeah. that the main the, the message we we both love about that you don't have to be beautiful or attractive is the main message being lost at the moment, because that's it's the, what's overtaking that is everyone is beautiful. Everyone like love yourself because everyone is gorgeous in their own way. And they can sit alongside each other. But I would love it if everyone who found out about body positivity found out about both messages. 
Right. Well, it's hard for them to sell beauty products if they're saying that your appearance doesn't matter, right? (laughs) Well, so one of my friends, uh, Kenzie Brenner, has uh, done this amazing new hashtag called Cellulite Cellulite Saturday. And a cellulite reducing company posted a picture of it being like, yeah, so that next next Saturday when you're about to post a cellulite Saturday, you can instead celebrate how you have less cellulite. And I'm like, so what? Do you even understand what that whole campaign is about? Because it's not about saying you have less cellulite, but it's them jumping on the bag and wagon and trying to sell their beauty products. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be just more and more, more and more of that, unfortunately. What what would you like to see more of in the body positive movement? I'd love more, um, more disabled bodies to be included. I think that's the one place where we're lacking and especially because I run an account which sort of bridges the two. Um, I I would say my account is a body positive page. Yeah, I've had people come to me and say, well, you're not strictly body positive because you talk about ableism and disabled bodies. And I was like, since when did that come under a separate umbrella? Because to me, talking about disabled bodies is exactly underneath the body positive umbrella and that I wouldn't be doing it justice if I was talking about scars without talking about the illnesses behind them. Right. Right. So to me, I, I want body positive to be more inclusive of um, disabled bodies and talk about, talk about chronic illness and chronic pain a lot more. That's great. I love that. That's awesome. I'm hoping we're going in that direction. I hope so too. You know, and I think, I think more, you know, more age and more age representation as well. And, 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 you know, and, and, and races as well. I think that, um, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of white women doing it and there, you know, the, we, we could see a lot more representation across the board. Well, I think I'm, I'm half Chinese, so. Uh, I also fit under that category because I sometimes I get told a lot that I'm not a person of color and I'm like you do realize that a person of color doesn't have to be colored right Asians are people of color as well (laughs) and that you don't need to have dark skin to be a person of color right Um, and so there's a lot of education still needed in that area of conversation as well right right well it's been so wonderful chatting with you so nice yes and uh the last question that I ask everyone is what is the most fearless thing that you have done oh the most fearless thing I feel like you Uh, probably have a lot (laughs) this is this is quite a cliche answer but um actually going to see a therapist when I was uh 20 years old um, I went to see a therapist who diagnosed me with PTSD and I was, I was struggling for about a month and then I finally went and I was so scared to do it that I actually had to leave my keys at home so I didn't return home. <laughs> but that was probably the most fearless thing I've done despite all the medical trauma. That was scarier. Good for you. And, and, I, and I think that that is, that is true. You know, like saying, okay, I need help. Admitting, yeah, yeah, I, I, I avoided that for, for most of my life, and it's only now that I'm able to reach out for help when I need it much more readily, because, I don't know, a lot, lot of shame around mental illness, for sure. So much shame, and that's why we need more conversations. Yeah, so where can people find more of you? 
So my Instagram page is Mindset for Life LTD, and um, I'm on Twitter at Mindset underscore for Life. And then I've just started out my YouTube channel. I've been going for a while, but it's been given a bit of a revive. And if you type in Michelle Elman, um, you should be able to find my videos. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. It was thank really so great much. to converse with you and, and connect with you. And uh, we'll keep in touch. And I know that I will talk to you again in the future. Thank you so yes. much. Great chatting with you. Rock on. Bye. You can find all of the links mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash seven six. Thank you again for listening. And I will see you next time. Rock on. Rock on.